Journey Church. It's good to see you all. I was, I was peeking around during worship, and I thought to myself, man, this is a good-looking group. So you got that going for you tonight, right? Uh, my, name, my name's Chris Townley, and I'm the, the student pastor here at Journey. And so that just simply means that I get to constantly have fun, right? Like, yeah, I, get, I have fun all the time, right? And, and so I, I felt like I should probably bring some of that with us tonight, and we might actually have fun at church, yeah, I know a couple people are like, yes, all right. So, so it just so happens that around the SLAM, which is our middle school group, and 660, our high school group, we're in the middle of a series called Bieber Fever, okay? So, yeah, some of you already know. Like, if you don't know what that means, just, just Google it, all right, Google it. If you don't know what it means to Google it, don't worry about it. All right, we, you'll, you'll be fine. You, don't worry about it that way. But, but since we're in the, the middle of the series, Bieber Fever, what we've been doing is we've been learning some pretty rad dance moves. All right, and so I, I wanted to bring those to you tonight. Like, not, not just me, don't worry, it's full participation. So if you would just stand up for a second with me, just stand up. Don't worry, I'm the one everybody can see. Relax. All right, so, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna teach you some, some dance moves, and trust me, once you learn these, like, you will be all the rage. You will be all the rage. Take these with you wherever you go, that kind of thing, and so you'll, you'll be good to go. The first thing you need to know, though, when you're gonna do dance moves is that you can't do any dance moves until you've put out the vibe, okay? And, and so this is what the vibe looks like. You might have your own version, but this is the actual version. You just stand like this, all right, you kind of got to purse your lips. You got to purse your lips, stick your rear out a little bit, hang the arm, and just vibe. All right, let me see, let me see your vibe. Go ahead and try it. Don't be afraid. Just to the side like that. Yep, vibing. That's okay, we always have kids who are too cool from time to time too. All right, so that's the vibe. That's the vibe. Now, now what we're going to do, now that we've vibed, right, we're ready for the dance move. And so it's, it's, it's called this. The, the first move is get the bees off. All right, get the bees up. Like spring's coming. The bees are going to come out. It's actually going to be practical as well. Right, so the, the bees will attack you, and all you got to do is get the bees off. Okay? So here, here we'll try it. Ready? Vibe. Now get the bees off. Yeah. Okay, good. That's good. That's one move. Yeah, you guys are good. That's good. I got, I got two more. Two more moves for you. This one. This one's great because, again, it's almost spring, and then it'll be summer, and then it'll be the 4th of July, right? And this is the firework dance, all right? The firework dance move. You, you got to go like this and light it, and then it just goes off. They go off all over, okay? Think you can do that one? All right, here we go. Five first. Fireworks, go. Okay, just so you know, that's Bieber playing in the background. That's Bieber. He's, he's got it going on for us. All right, here's the last one. The last one, and this, I saved the best one for last. Like this one, this one, you take this anywhere, people will flock to you. All right? This is called milk a really big cow. Okay? So, so it looks like this. Looks like this. Ready? Just like this. You just... You got to get low. You got to get low because you're going to milk a really big cow. Okay, here we go. 
Vibe first. Milk it. Yeah, there we go. Get the beads off. Okay, have a seat. There you go. There you go. That's right. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. Now your, your workout's done, too. Like, that's all kinds of good stuff there. They tell me if I hit play at any moment, Bieber could go off. So we'll see what happens. But anyway, thanks for that, by the way. Like, let's, let's get down to business, right? If you're here for the first time, we don't normally dance, right? But, but you can, and, and we did, and so... That's that, right? But we're also finding ourselves in the middle of a series that we're calling Sticky Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. Right? It's kind of a mouthful. Sticky sticky Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. And two weeks ago, Brian laid the foundation for this series for us. Right? Like, be prepared at all all times to to whatever that verse is. (laughs) Yeah, never mind. Right? Two weeks, or a week ago... Brian had, had a message for us where he answered the question, is there a God? Right, good stuff. Go ahead and you can grab a CD out front or go on iTunes and get the podcast, listen to that and get up to date. And then tonight, right, we're going to tackle the question, is the Bible reliable? Is the Bible reliable? So with that in mind, we got a quick video that will kind of get you going on that. So watch this. Well, because it was made by humans and put in influence by human opinion, uh, I think it's debatable. I don't think really everything can be trusted. It's an interesting read, but it's hard to say how true it really is, given that it was written a long time ago in another language by people. Uh, somewhat. I believe after, you know, it's been rewritten so many times. I believe people have had their own biases put into it, and it's just... Um, being such an old uh, work of literature, it can get twisted around a little bit, so some things can be a little distorted, um, depending on where you get them from. So. No, I don't think so. Through translation and time, I, I don't think so. I think some parts of it, but, I mean, I think some of it, too, they're just stories, so. Hmm. Right, so there's some of the questions, and, and let me just be honest and upfront with you right off the bat. Like, I was a bit overwhelmed when I found out this was the question that, that I was going to be tackling, right? But the, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that that's the entire point of this series, right? Like, that, that's the whole point, is that all of the questions are overwhelming, and we're not sure how to answer them, right? They're challenging, they're intimidating, so... Naturally, as I started to think about that, I was like, yeah, that's a sticky question that I don't really know how to answer right now. And and so I thought more about it. And with that realization in mind, I I was able to go forward in in my preparation and just be confident in the fact that it's probably a question we all want help being able to answer if someone were to ask us, is the the Bible reliable? And so as I began to research and, and study for this weekend, I, I actually walked straight into my own sticky question before I even got to this sticky question. And it, it kind of, it blew my hair back, if you will. That's why I wore a hat. My hair's all messed up. And, and it was this. Am I even putting myself in a position to have someone ask me a sticky question? 
Like, am I even in those kind of conversations, those relationships in which someone might ask me a sticky question? So I had to think about that, right? And so speaking to those of us here who have given our lives to follow Jesus, like I would say the same question to you. Are you putting yourself in position to have a conversation where someone might ask you a sticky question? Like, are you open to having that conversation? Or are you the kind of person who won't shoot someone down when they do ask you a question? Right, like what, what kind of communication is going to happen in that? Like, that's kind of a, a big thing to think about. Like, we could have a million answers from this series, but never have anybody feel comfortable asking us those questions, and it would never matter. Right, like, that's kind of like, whoa. Okay, and, and sometimes what I think is as followers of Jesus, we have a tendency to overlook our calling to engage others in conversation about the hope that, that we have in our own lives, about the way that Jesus has, has changed our lives. And so we, we run from these situations in which someone might ask a sticky question, like we try and hide or shy away. And so, so my hope after tonight, and I believe our hope through this whole series, is that when it's all said and done, we realize we cannot run, we cannot shy away from sharing the life change that has happened in our lives as the result of the powerful love of God. We can't run from that, but we will be equipped to step in to those conversations. And so with that in mind, let's just, let's get to answering the question, right? Is the Bible reliable? In my preparation and for, for this, this message, I used a lot of material from Mark Middleberg and Lee Strobel. So if you want to check out anything else, you could go to those guys. They've got some really good stuff. And so that's the question, right? Is the Bible reliable? Can we, can we trust the Bible? Right? Those are pretty legit and important questions. Right? Those are fair to ask those questions to think about. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of take us down three different paths. And each path will have some trails and maybe some new ones right as we go. But, but that's kind of what it's going to look like. Three different paths for you. I think that that should be self-explanatory as we, we move along. And so the first one that I want to start with is alleged gospel contradictions. Right, like that sounds really grown up. Alleged gospel contradiction. I couldn't find like a Bieber contradictions. Like that didn't work. Right? I couldn't come up with anything cool there. And so really, like when, when someone says, hey, I find some contradictions in the gospel, like they're kind of asking questions like, how come there are four gospels? Why, why are there the four stories? Or isn't one going to be enough? Right? And so these, these alleged contradictions, they get tricky. Right? A contradiction is something that, that people say is going to happen with Christianity a lot, and so we kind of tread lightly around it. Right? We're not sure how to respond to that. And so let me just say that, that in order to have an, a contra, an alleged contradiction about the Bible, someone has to actually read it, right? Like that, that's a big thing up front, which means you probably have to read it too so you can be prepared to answer the questions. Same with that person. And so we often find, we often find that people distrust the Bible and, and it's not because of anything that, that, that they have actually from reading it. It's that they've heard so many rumors that the Bible has all these contradictions that cannot be resolved, right? Like, especially in the Gospels. And so, for, for other people, right, like, hey, what, what do we do with this? And Middleburg, he had a great way to explain it. He actually just told a story, right? Jesus did a lot of this, too. He would answer people's questions with stories. But he, he tells a story of a, of a dear friend of his whose mother was killed, right? And, and, and what happened is they learned of her death. Through, through a trusted mutual friend who, who told them that she had been standing on a street corner waiting for a bus. 
And while she was waiting for that bus, she had been hit by another bus passing by and was, was fatally injured. And not long after that, she passed away. Right? And so as the, as the friends and the, the family were all reeling from this news, right, that they received as you, as you would from such an instance as that, uh, their grandson came along and he told them, that, that he, he, he had heard from his mom, who was the, the daughter of this woman, that she had been in a car crash and been thrown from the car and died instantly. And so Middleburg's friend is, is not exactly sure what to do with this. And, I mean, everybody's still reeling from the tragedy, right? And so all they know is that both of these sources were really good sources, but their stories are drastically different. And so for a long time, Middleburg's friend, he didn't know what to believe, right? Because both of these stories, they seemed believable to what happened, but he didn't know which one to believe. And when we look at a story like that, it's kind of how people will look at the Gospels, right? When we will look and we'll be like, I'm not sure what to believe, like what really was on the, on the cross above Jesus' head, right? Because you'll get different accounts in different Gospels. Or, or how did Judas die? Did he fall off the cliff or did he hang himself? Right? Like, we ask these questions. You might not ask these questions, but somebody might be asking you these questions. Right? And so, after some time, Middleburg's friend was able to get all of these people in the room, the, the mutual friend and the grandson and everybody involved, and that they were able to solve what had happened. Right? The, the woman had, in fact, been standing on the corner waiting for a bus when she got hit by a passing bus. Right? In the chaos, someone knew that she was fatally injured and was dying, and so they put her in the car. And in the chaos of all that, they, they sped off to get her to the hospital. And while they were driving, there was a collision, right? And she was thrown from the car, and that was when she died. Like, isn't, isn't that, that's, that's a horrible tragedy, right? But at, at the same time, right, both of those sources had been right about what happened, right? The, the little details that followed were just incomplete. Right, and so when, when we meshed it all together, right, when we found that the harmony of the story, we actually found that both of them were right, and we found out how it all happened. And so Middleburg stresses that we use the exact same care, the exact same care when we're answering our friends' questions about supposed and alleged contradictions in the gospel. Right, he, he challenges us to search and see if there might be a way to harmonize the accounts without grasping at far-flung explanations, right? And we'll find that in the fuller version of the story, they're not that contradictory after all. Right? And so more often than not, when someone would bring that to you, right, it would be a sticky question that someone might be asking you, a Christian, right, we'll find that, that those contradictions were simply based on rumor, that's, that's crazy to think about, just, just the way you break down people's testimonies. And so there, there's some really cool, cool stuff on those alleged, uh, alleged contradictions in the gospel, and I, I'm not going to go that much farther into that, so I'd encourage you to look up that on your own. That, that's good stuff to know. And from there, and so there's, there's your alleged contradictions of the gospel and the, the witness testimony. Right from there, I'm going to take us into some objections of the Bible. Right, objections of the Bible. And so we travel farther down this path, right? Here's a new path, right? And we'll find ourselves encountering just general objections that people have to the Bible, questions that they might ask, right? But before trying to answer every single concern that someone might have, right? This is, this is from a lot of the research I did and people I talked to, they said it would be really wise to call their bluff, 
It's like, oh, okay, what do you mean by that? Ask them to be specific, right? So they, they ask you a question, how can I, how can I trust the Bible, right? Like, how can that be reliable? And so you would do like Jesus did, right, and, and answer a question with a question, and you could say something like this, right? You say the Bible is full of mistakes or inaccuracies or, or contradictions, and I'm curious, like, which ones bother you the most, Right, I mean, I say that, say that sincerely, but it's kind of like, yeah, good point, right? Which ones bother you the most? What, what mistakes and contradictions have you found? Right, and so then it's not necessarily a, an attack on anybody anymore. We're actually all gathering some information. Right, like, I thought that was, that was a pretty cool way to address that. Because the majority of the time, I bet our friends won't have an, a, a specific issue in mind. Right, but I do believe they'll secretly hope that the problems that, that they do maybe have with the Bible would actually come out to be true. So then they're off the hook when it comes to the challenges that the Bible pushes forward at you. They're, they're good to go. Right? It's kind of like Mark Twain said. He's not in the Bible, but he had this really good quote. Right? He said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It is the parts that I do understand. Right? Like, yeah, me too, Mark. Right? You know, so it's, it's that kind of thing that somebody's going to be coming at you more from that angle. And so, however, before we dive into this uh, again, right, these, these objections, I, ju- I just want to encourage us, because I have to encourage myself in this too, not to take these conversations, these questions, these objections that people might raise as, as debates about who's right and who's wrong, right? And everybody's standing on their, their platform, ah, I'm right, it doesn't even matter, right? It's not about that, right? It's about actually using the opportunity to have a meaningful conversation, to engage in conversation and learn somebody's story, right? Maybe say, hey, if you, if you don't think the Bible is reliable or trustworthy, like, what do you, what do you look for for guidance in your life? Right, like, what, what is that? What story are you living out of right now? Right, that'd be a good question, right? And then, and then if they answer that, we can probe deeper into that and, and ask them, well, how is that working out for you? Right, like, how's that going? Because, because as followers of Christ, we know deep down that, that that's probably not going well, or at some point it's not going to go well. Right? But now we're in a place where we're not battling right or wrong. Right? We're involved in each other's lives. And that's what following Jesus is about. So anyway, I would, I would encourage you to engage those conversations that way. And as we learn to maneuver these conversations, right, we'll actually find if we do it this way, that there's no longer sticky questions Christians hope no one will ask, but there's just questions we hope they do ask, and then we get to have the conversation. Okay, on to the objections. The st- yeah, that's all you wanted to know anyway, right? What are people saying? Objection number one, up first, this is what, what people often will say, the Bible is very old and was, naturally, right? The Bible is very old and was written by gullible, illiterate people Therefore, we can't trust it. Well, I like that. Okay. Right, that, that's, the Bible's not reliable because it's old and was written by gullible, illiterate people. We can't trust it. Uh, here's what Middleburg had to say because I couldn't say it better myself. I'm just going to give you, like, it, it was laced with sarcasm, which is why I really liked it. So I'm just going to give it to you right off the bat. This is what he said. He said, yes, they were simpletons, all right. 
That's why people of that age memorized huge portions of every conceivable kind of literature. Rabbis formed schools to train young men in theology who would then pass on that learning verbatim to successive generations. Ancients had detailed calendars that kept track of the movements of the planets, the changing of the seasons, and the timing of upcoming solar and lunar eclipses. This is before the internet. Right, and, and the circumference of the earth had already been calculated, despite a, a spherical earth being a topic of debate. Right, and these people navigated land and sea without detailed maps or GPS systems. Right, while we, in our modern wisdom, can't find our car keys, figure out what day of the week it is, or how to get back to the doctor's office. Right, so, okay, so maybe they weren't just gullible, illiterate people, is what he's saying, Right? It's a, good, it's a good point. It's a good point. In Second in Peter, first, first chapter, verses 16 through 18, it says this. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joys. Joy, we ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Right, so when you read that, now that was a quick transition right there, but when you read that, right, do, do you see, does it sound like the author knows the difference between just like passing on some untested story versus sharing verified truth? Right, like he saw it, he heard it, he witnessed it, he was there. Right, he cites it again and again. But for me, let me... I, I just wanted to share that with you because I think it's really good. But, but for me, it's not exactly going to fly to use Scripture when stating the reliability of Scripture unless you already profess to trust in the Scripture, right? So that was, that was more for those of us who already trust in the, in the Scripture, right? Because that's not going to work. You won't, you won't say to someone, hold on, let me tell you what the Bible says so you know it's reliable, right? Don't try that. It's not going to work. It's backwards, right? So instead, let's consider this. Right, in the years when the New Testament was being written, the church was not widely accepted. Right, like they didn't all just drive here like we did today. No problems except for maybe right, some gophers and a stop sign. Right, like that's all, all we had to deal with, right? But then, no, not the case. It was not widely accepted. So many people, right, well, they, they were losing their lives for supporting Christianity by boldly professing, right, Jesus is Lord instead of the state mandated, Caesar is Lord, right? So obviously it could be true that people would die in believing in an error, right? But, but these early Christ followers, the early ones, right, they, they, were, they were close enough to the events that they knew what they believed and they knew that it was actually true. So almost all of Jesus' companions, right, during, during that time when the New Testament was being written, his companions lived lives of, of deprivation and suffering, right? They were dying martyrs' deaths because they believed Jesus really had risen from the dead and, uh, and appeared to them after the resurrection, right? They, they weren't like in some plush mansions living the good life, right? And so that begs the question, who dies for something that they know is false? Nobody. Right? Nobody dies for something that they know is false. Yet these early followers of Jesus kept proclaiming these truths, even as they were being fed to lions or burned at the stake or being crucified upside down. 
Right? Like that's the kind of thing that should blow our mind when we think about the reliability of the Bible. That's objection number one. Objection number two. So we might also encounter this objection. Right? The Bible was written too far after the events actually happened to be considered reliable. Right? You might have heard that one or maybe you even wonder about it. Right, and so the objection usually rises from like a magazine, maybe like Time will do a, a whole story on historical Jesus, right? Or there'll be a TV documentary that'll make you start to, to wonder these things or people will, will have these questions, right? But I want to look at 1 Corinthians. I know we're doing the whole Bible thing. I'll explain that in a second, right? Like the Bible to reliable Bible. I got that. But, but we're going to look at 1 Corinthians, which was widely accepted as being written by the Apostle Paul, Right, no later than A.D. 56. That's a long time ago, just so you know. And then he died about A.D. 64. Right, so all of his writings were penned during the lifetime of those who walked and talked and associated with Jesus. Right, people are pretty much on board with that. Okay? So here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 9. You're going to want to remember this because it's going to get really cool here in a second. Here's what he said. He said, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Most have died now. Right? And then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Okay, so how does this support the Bible's reliability? Because that's, that's what you're wondering, because I did that thing again, right? Well, Paul is quoting... Right, he's quoting in verses 3 through 7 a formal creedal teaching that he had received, right? a, a, a creed. Right? A creed right? He didn't make up the story of the resurrection. It was so well known, actually, during that time that it was formalized into a statement that was developed and then taught to him. Like a, a primitive catechism, if you will. Right? Like everybody knew what that said, what that creed said. And so many scholars believe that, that Paul received that creed in verses 3 through 7, right, which is really cool, actually, if you look at it and think of it as a creed. He received that from Peter and James while visiting them in Jerusalem three years after Paul's conversion, right, which would then be within about five years of Jesus' death on the cross. Well, like, we're getting really close to the event, right? That's not a lot of time when we're talking about 2,000 years of stuff happening. And so since Paul also mentions, right, that most of the witnesses were still alive when he wrote, he says 500 people, right, most of them are alive, though some have died, right, it, it meant they were available to corroborate these claims. Like, they, you could go and talk to them and find out what they had seen, what their experience was, which is another powerful piece of evidence, Right, that Jesus' death and resurrection were real historical events, that they actually happened. Right, in fact, historian Gary Habermas, now you could Google him as well, H-A-B-E-R-M-A-S. If you don't know what Google is, you might actually know who Gary is. Right? And so what, what he did is, is he lists 39 ancient sources outside of the Bible that provide over 100 facts 
Keyword facts about Jesus' life, teachings, death, and resurrection. I'm not going to share a hundred facts with you. Right? That's why you're going to Google him and find out that information. But he's got some stuff, right? He's got some stuff. And the conclusion in all of this, though, the conclusion, because you can always go deeper. Trust me, you can, people have been studying this for centuries, right? You can always go deeper. The conclusion is that the central message of the Bible stands strong. Right? Jesus lived. His activities and teachings were written down within the lifetime of those who knew him. And, right? and then the claim of the resurrection, incredible as the event seems, was made from the very beginning of Christianity. From the very beginning, and Jesus was, was born a Jew and was worshipped as God. Like The central message stands strong. Like, that's powerful. That's powerful stuff. Whew. Okay, objection number three. All right, that's only two. Crazy, huh? I've got four for you, so we're halfway there. And then some other things. All right, and another objection we might come across is this. Even if it was accurate at first, the Bible was copied and translated so many times that it surely has been corrupted. Right? You might have heard that one, right? It's been translated so many times that by the time it got here, has to be corrupted. Like, no good. Right? No good. And so he, here's, here's what I've, I've found personally and in my research. I've found this to be true as well. That this objection has been repeated so often that people don't really even think about what they're saying anymore. Right? They don't even think about what they're saying, right? Middle, Middleburg actually often asks people that have this question to clarify what they mean, right? He, he finds, as do I, that they realize maybe they really aren't sure what they mean, right? Yeah, it's been copied and translated too many times. No good, right? So this, this case and this objection of the Bible often plays out like a game of telephone. Does anybody know the game of telephone, right? Like it's where you, you get a line of people, or a circle, you can do a circle too, right? And this is usually children, right? So college kids, if you're playing this game, you need to find something new, right? And so you, you line up, and the first person in line whispers something in that first person's ear, right? Like, hamburger, right? That, that was one I always went with anyway, hamburger, right? And so then it goes down the line, each person whispering at one time to the next person, and you get to the end of like 28-year-olds, right? And the last kid declares, Chris likes Kate, Right, and you're like, hamburger to that? Right, and so it's so far messed up and, and, and separated from what it was originally meant to be. Right, and so some people have the misconception that the Bible was reproduced the same way, right? First written in Greek, then translated to Latin, and then to German, and then to Old English, and, and then to, to King James, and, and then to Pig Latin, right? And then here we are with the Bible we have today. Right, like... To just to debunk that objection simply, right, straight up front, like all reputable translations of the Bible, all, all reputable versions begin with the best and oldest Greek for the New Testament and the best and oldest Hebrew manuscripts for the Old Testament. The end. All right, like, hey, there you go. It's just, that's going to come up. It's not like telephone. It's not like telephone. Objection number four. Objection number four. This is the last one. The last objection to the trustworthiness of the Bible. And obviously there's more than four. How can one religious book be right and all the others wrong? Isn't it more likely they all contain some truth and all contain some error? Woo, right? Like that's, that's a good one. 
That's a good one. Yeah, I was excited when that one came up. And so as Christians, right, we, we claim for the Bible, right, our, our claim for the Bible is that, that it's fundamentally different from other holy books, right? It's fundamentally different. Like, yes, there is a measure of truth to many other belief systems, right? But according to Jesus, none of the other truths lead to salvation, whatever benefits they may have. So we're not saying there are not benefits or, or truths in those, but that they are not the same as what the Bible is telling us, right? And and obviously we know what Jesus says in John 14, 6, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Right? But that probably only carries weight for those of us who follow him. Right? We're back to that again. Right? It's kind of a vicious little circle. And so here's what's different about the Bible. Here's what's different. It goes beyond giving just plain good advice. Right? It, it teaches, this, this is what's different, right? It teaches about a savior. It teaches about the need to rely on his righteousness instead of our own. It breaks down our own pride and reminds us that we're no better than any other person on planet earth. We're all sinners. We're all in need of a savior. It tells us we cannot save ourselves no matter how hard we try. And so we must accept God's plan for redemption instead of constructing our own. But that's how the Bible is different. It talks about somebody we can relate to. It's not about us trying to work out and figure it out and do it all ourselves. You can't get better and better and better than somebody else because you, you did these things better and accomplished more. We all start at the same level. We're all in need of a Savior. And then Jesus proves his love over and over again in that book. And so the Bible also had, there's another piece to this, right? The Bible also has predict, predictive prophecy, right? Which was later fulfilled, like to the letter, to the T, right? Like it, they, they predicted it and then it happened, right? And so here, here would be a good example, right? Like take Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, right? It, it, it's clearly an amazing prophecy of the suffering of the Messiah, Right, but it was written 700 years beforehand. That's a long time as well. Right, and it describes in advance how, how Jesus was to be pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Right, like, okay, so that's, that's that right there, right? That's not the only thing, though, that blows me away when you think about something that was a prophecy that, that actually happened. Well, what really shows the divine insights of these prophets like Isaiah and Zechariah were both talking about being pierced, right, is that they were not only hundreds of years before the, the life and death of Christ, right, but they were also centuries before the Roman practice of crucifixion, right, with its horrific piercing of hands and feet, but that hadn't even been invented. No one was having their hands pierced and their feet pierced to a wooden cross. It hadn't been invented. Like, what? I'm, I'm speechless, right? Like, what do you say to that? So suffice it to say, right, no other religion has this kind of prophetic fulfillment. It's a big deal. Right, and that's a lot of information that just happened right there, right? Like a, lot of, a lot of things were going on 
And so we were, we were debunking and defending and that kind of thing. And since I'm more of a positive person, like I'm really optimistic, like even when they were like, hey, you're going to do is the Bible reliable? I was like, okay, right? Like, okay, let's do this. And so I just want to leave you with, with uh, more of a positive case the positive case, if you will. It's just kind of a quick synopsis, right? Three things that can kind of, yeah, be positive. Here's what we know. Number one, the New Testament is, at a minimum, a reliable historical record. The New Testament, at a minimum, is a reliable historical record. For me, right, I believe that the Bible is the inspired and authoritative word of God, but, but up front, we don't have to ask our friends to start there. We don't, we don't have to start there when our friends come to us with sticky questions, right? But we can tell them right up front, the New Testament is at a very minimum a reliable historical record, okay? Number two in the positive case, the historical record presents Jesus as the unique son of God. The historical record presents Jesus as the unique son of God. Like real quick, here's his divine credentials. And it's maybe like a resume, right? He lived a sinless life. He had supernatural insight. He fulfilled ancient biblical prophecies. He performed amazing miracles and he was resurrected from the dead. Right? Like no other spiritual leader has ever had such credentials as Jesus. No other spiritual leader has had those credentials. And that should allow us, those of us who follow Jesus, to have incredible respect and trust in all that Jesus said and did. Because right? no other spiritual leader has those credentials. The historical record presents Jesus as the unique son of God. And number three, Jesus, the son of God, taught that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Like extra biblical sources in archaeology tell us that the Bible is historically accurate and worth reading. Right? Jesus tells us it is spiritually accurate and worth heeding. See what I did there with the rhyme? right? Like extra biblical sources and archaeology, right? They, they say, hey, the Bible is historically accurate and worth reading. Jesus tells us it is spiritually accurate and worth heeding. It's good stuff. And so with all that to consider and dive into though, like, eh, that's, that's heavy. I get that. It was heavy preparing, right? With all that to dive into, I think that I would, I would be amiss if I didn't say though, that at the end of the day, you or your friends or whoever it is that's investigating the reliability and validity of the Bible will probably just find what they're looking for. So if, if, if you want it to be reliable and you, you're going to go down that path and that's how you're going to search, you're going to find it. If you don't want it to be, you're gonna, just like we talked about at the beginning, right? at the end of the day, you're probably going to find what you're looking for. However, Right, as you engage in the conversation and this, and this sticky question, right, like that's the key, engaging in the conversation, not just sending people on their way. Right, people, people have been reading and critiquing the Bible for centuries. And it's doubtful that you'll be asked something new. Okay, it's doubtful that you'll be asked something new, which means with just a little bit of digging, maybe even a, a Facebook message to me, I'll send you in the right direction, right, you could find... The, the, the evidence or the responses that you might need to help them answer the questions they're asking. But if that doesn't work, you could use this. This is my friend, my friend David's response. Not, not King David. He's like a real person. 
is David. Well, it's King David was real too. Never mind. Here we go. This is David's response. This is good. He said, he said, there's no other book like the Bible in existence. Consider that it was written on three continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe, Africa, Asia, and Europe, over a period of 1,500 years by 40-plus authors in all walks of life. For a little context, the United States is barely over 200 years old, right? Despite that, it still has a central theme and unfolds into a real story. Predictions have been fulfilled within it, and archaeology continues to confirm its historical facts. There has been no book put under more scrutiny throughout the centuries, and yet it is still holding, holding its own and changing lives for the better. I guess I could have just said that at the beginning, but right, like that, that's one of those like, boom, fist pump. All right, I could say that, right? Like that's a, that's a it's a good statement right there, kind of good summary. And so with that, with that in mind, I just, I just want to say like one more time, like we can't shy away. We can't run from having these challenging and sticky question-filled conversations. Right? Instead, what we have to do is we have to build friendships and relationships with the people we work with and the, the people we associate with at the gym and the, the people we see in here and the people we meet at the coffee shop, whatever it might be. We have to develop a relationship so that we can actually have the conversation that might bring them hope and meaning and purpose and love in the way of Jesus, our Savior. We have to be able to do that. We can't run or throw up some wall of defense Right, and say, no, nah, this, is, this is my way. We won't be having this conversation. Right, instead, we have to engage those conversations where people can ask questions, feel, feel safe, right, where we'll discuss them, where we can be right or wrong, but we can ultimately just talk. Because that doesn't happen very much anymore. I know I work with students. Right? And so something we could implement, this is, this is practical application. Maybe nothing you heard today you can practically apply to your life. This, I think you can. Something we could implement into these relationships that we're actively going to be building, right, is this. Suggest to our questioners, those who might have questions, to start reading, say, the, the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of Luke or something like that. And then have them keep a notepad handy. And as they read it, any time they have a question, have them write it down. Right? Give them as much time as they need to work, work through that, that gospel. And then when they're done, we take the time to sit down with them and actually address those questions. That doesn't mean we'll have the answer right away. We might have to go find it. We might have to have more conversation about it. But actually engage them in the reading of the Bible. Because I believe that the Bible is powerful enough to transform lives. Right, Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. Right, it, we just have to have the conversation. We just have to help people engage with the life-changing word of God. Right, or as we read in Hebrews, right, the word of God is living and active but it's not, a, it's not a dead book. Like, it, it is the power of God. And so we can't underestimate what that's going to do, right? And we, we can't underestimate what it might mean to get someone to begin reading this. And then that takes the conversation to a higher, more life-impacting level, right? And you start to talk about real, challenging, life-changing things. 
Because the good news is in fact that good. That good that we cannot shy away, we cannot run from, we cannot build up a wall of defense when we are asked challenging, sticky questions. Let's pray. God, we just, we come here tonight and we, we thank you that, that, that you have equipped us in ways to actually begin to answer these questions that, that are sometimes so challenging to answer. But most of all, we just, we just pray that you, you would actually give us the courage, the boldness, right, to engage the people we care about not just anyone off the street, God, but the people that we care about, that we would engage them in conversations about things that matter, that we would not be afraid to say we don't know the answer, that we would not be, be afraid to, to go down a path of, of maybe digging and researching what the truth really is, God. But ultimately, we pray that, that your power would be at work in people's lives and that you would use us to show them who you are. And that we would no longer be Christians who hope people won't ask us these questions. But we will be Christians so confident and so equipped by the power of your Holy Spirit that we yearn for people to ask us these questions so that we can tell them about you. You're that good, God. Your word is that powerful. And it's that life-changing, and I pray that, that we would all begin to live in a way that believes that. We love you, in your name we pray. Amen.